the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week we're looking at the Turkish currency crisis. What's behind the 40% collapse in the lira this year and could there be contagion effect for financial markets? You'll hear from Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times and Megan Green, Chief Economist at Manulife and John Hancock Asset Management in New York. In the second half of the show, Joe Brennan of the Irish Times takes me through Aritz's plans to raise €800 million in new equity to fund a restructuring of the business and a refinancing of its debt. But we begin, as always, with a roundup of some of the major stories of the week with Peter Hamilton of the Irish Times. Uh, Peter, welcome to studio. We're going to begin with housing and we had some data this week from the Central Statistics Office about residential house prices. That's right. Property price growth eased in June. There was a slowdown, particularly Mm. in Dublin. Uh, Prices across the country increased by 12%. So that's lower than the 12.4% rate that we had seen in the previous month. It's still very saucy though, isn't it? It's it's still running at quite a high rate. It means the typical homeowner will have seen a property uh, the the value of their property rise by twenty one thousand euro in the last over the last twelve months, uh, while homeowners in Dunleary Rath Down they'll have seen forty seven thousand euro added to their property. So it is still running at quite a high rate. It this this looks to be the beginning of a slowdown in the rise, but uh, negative inflation seems seems quite far away, or, or negative growth seems quite quite a long way away. Um, what these figures show us is that somebody who bought in February 2012, they'll have seen the price of their house almost double. Uh, February 2012, of course, was the trough in the market in Dublin, wasn't it? That was the low Post point. The crash. Uh, yeah, uh, after 2007, uh, 2007 highs, that, that was the low point. Mm. Uh, across the state as a whole, and when you exclude Dublin, prices actually did rise uh, at a greater rate. They were up 15.2%, with the Midwest seeing increases of 22.3%. Now, there are a few um, things to point out in this survey. The border region in particular, that suffered a bit, and growth there stalled at around 4.9%. Brexit may be a factor there? That that appears to be what, what's impacting things. And, and when, while we're speaking about Brexit, Cliff Taylor was writing in today's mm. Irish Times that Brexit may be good for Dublin, and particular the more affluent areas of Dublin, uh, with uh, uh, Brexit jobs boon uh, on, on the way so that could could push prices up in an area that they've started to level off or at least growth has started to slow down Yeah that's at the higher end of the market it uh, is, I, I yeah. presume he's talking about mm. uh, Let's move to insurance and FBD they had a very short statement out this week from the company in relation to the internal in, in relation to the independent investigation that was undertaken uh, to reflect on a complaint that was made against its chief executive Fiona Muldoon what was the finding? So this has been one of the more unusual corporate stories over the course of the summer. The finding was that there was n- no harm, no foul, I suppose. Nothing uh, to see Muldoon here. Ms. was cleared of the allegations against her. When you say nothing to see here, it's not as if we knew very much about what was going on in the first place. Because they've never told us what the allegations were. They've been very quiet about the whole thing from beginning to end. They didn't They didn't clear it up at all in the last few days. Our understanding is that it relates to allegations that were made uh, on, on, on sort of a complaint by the company's human resources director, mm. Sarah Ryan. Now, that has never been confirmed by the company. And she's or, never made any comment herself. Ryan. Yeah, so, we, so we're, we're not really... So we're still uh, very any, much in the dark on the whole thing. Yeah. The only thing we know is that the board has full, and the chairman has full confidence 
in Fiona Muldoon going forward. Indeed, and this comes after an investigation by William Fry, the law firm. Uh, so it's been, they've done it, they've moved very quickly on this and I presume to, to uh, allay any fears amongst investors. And after they concluded the investigation, the share price was up 2.9% and that was on Monday. Yeah, and some positive notes out from analysts I noticed as well. Uh, she's regarded as having done a, a good job in turning FBD around since she joined uh, a little while, about two and a half years ago. Absolutely, from from the central bank, she's been approached as having streamlined the business uh, and she, after replacing its virtually its entire executive yeah. team uh, and this year it paid its first dividend since yeah. 2014. Um, now, Café on Sen, uh, one of the great super pubs of Dublin, perhaps a bit of a poster child for the Celtic Tiger boom back in the day. Uh, it closed there recently for refurbishment and we're told now it's going to reopen as part of a, a €4 million Euro upgrade in November. That's right. Its owners, the Mercantile Group, they've been spending across the group thirty mm. million in total, and Cafe and Sen was a, a big beneficiary of that with a four million spend. Uh, the pub, which first opened in nineteen ninety three, will now boast one of the largest bar spaces in Ireland. It'll have a new menu, new drinks, very high end altogether, and of course you can still get your bog standard drinks in there as well. Still get your uh, Heineken and Guinness. Indeed you can. Uh, and uh, much like Wimbledon it'll have a retractable roof. Oh fantastic. Um, so look it's it's uh, it's well, with climate change, it's uh, I think a retractable roof is uh, is very important, Peter. And <laughs> you must be looking. I mean, you're you're absolutely of the age group, aren't you? You're the, the demographic well, that I, these I guys are going for. That. I, I felt you'd say that. I'm not. I don't know if I am. I think it's far too so, prices are far too saucy for me in that place. Uh, it perhaps it's the poster child of the next boom, and uh, I don't know. But it's I don't think it'll be my kind of place. All right. Okay. Now uh, we'll close with the Web Summit and Paddy Cosgrave. He's never far from the headlines when it comes to the Web Summit, and he, he's got himself into a bit of a pickle again this week. He has. He invited Marine Le Pen to speak at the Web Summit, the famed French presidential candidate uh, who came very close to winning. But anyway, uh, so he, he invited her... A far-right candidate, far right candidate. Yeah. So he invited her to the Web Summit. This caused a considerable, a considerable amount of criticism on Twitter, on social media, uh, and he was criticised. And he defended his decision last night. Now, this morning he did a U-turn and said that Marine Le Pen was no longer invited and uh, that it, it, she wasn't, I suppose, suitable for the sponsors of the event. And uh, so that's the end of that. Uh, rather embarrassing turn of events, you'd have to say. All right. And any response from Marine Le Pen? Uh, do we know or has she said anything as yet? Not to my knowledge, not at this okay. point, but that could well change throughout the day. All right. OK. Well, no doubt a few people in Lisbon breathing uh, a sigh of relief in relation to that. Peter, thank you as always. Thanks. Now, Turkey has been in turmoil this week following the collapse in the value of its lira currency and the beginnings of a potentially damaging trade war with the United States. So how did this come about and what are the potential contagion effects for financial markets? Joining me in studio is Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times and by phone from New York is Megan Green, Chief Economist with Manulife and John Hancock Asset Management. You're both very welcome. Cliff, we might start with you. Uh, you might just give us the backdrop um, to this, uh, to, to these issues facing sure. Turkey at the minute. Sure, yeah, sure, Karen. I mean, as we've seen, I suppose, during the financial crisis over and over again, these things tend to develop over a long period of time and suddenly explode when uh, when confidence confidence takes a hit. So Turkey, uh, the Turkish economy has been growing very quickly. Uh, it's taken another surge forward in the last couple of years after uh, President Erdogan uh, increased government spending. Uh, kind of, a, It's been described as a growth at all costs policy. Uh, a lot of money going, in, going into construction. Uh, crucially, a lot of money borrowed uh, by um, Turkish companies uh, in dollars uh, and other foreign currencies. 
And in the last year or so, a really soaring inflation rate. So inflation in Turkey is now running at around 16%, with forecasts that it could be heading towards 20%. Huge deficit uh, on the balance of payments, uh, which means that Turkey needs to attract in foreign capital uh, to you know to, to keep going, if you like. So They've had all, this big influx of immigrants as well, haven't they? That's right. Many of whom were going on to Europe, but uh, yeah. the EU is now paying Turkey to keep keep them within. That's right. Borders. Yeah. So 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 a fraught political backdrop as well, and and that's played into the difficulties with the US. Uh, so a number of all, all the all the uh, all the ingredients there, if you like, for uh, for, for for a crisis. Uh, for a crisis of confidence and that's really what's happened over the past couple of weeks uh, the lira the turkish lira has been losing ground in the foreign exchange market since the start of this year uh, it's gone into a tailspin over the last week or so uh, rising tensions with the uh, US have been one of the things that have that have caused this. So there's an ongoing row, a uh, number of ongoing diplomatic rows between the US and Turkey, one in particular over a pastor, an American pastor who's been detained in Turkey in controversial circumstances uh, following the attempted coup in 2016. Uh, the Americans say there's no case against this guy, he should be released. Uh, the Turks have him under house arrest, won't release him. Uh, in, in response to this last Friday, uh, President Trump uh, increased tariffs on steel and aluminium exports from Turkey to the United States. Turkey has responded. The president said this is an economic war. Uh, he's called on Turks to stop buying um, uh, iPhones and other American electronic products. Uh, and today he's uh, announced a big increase in uh, tariffs on tobacco, alcohol and cars coming from, coming from the uh, United States. So a real crisis of confidence here and some big underlying problems, big balance of payments deficit and crucially very large borrowings by uh, Turkish companies in dollars. Uh, and the problem there is a lot of these companies are earning money in Turkish lira, which is now worth a lot less. Uh, and they're having to make repayments in, 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 in US dollars. So they're, so they're being squeezed, uh, signs of a squeeze in the banking system and a bit of emergency action by the central bank over the last few days, which has helped shore up the lira, but hasn't really addressed the underlying issue. Yeah, and we should say also that Erdogan comprehensively won a recent election in yeah. Turkey, and that's consolidated more power um, towards Absolutely, him. Absolutely, yeah. There's been constitutional changes which have concentrated more power on the president. Since this attempt to at coup in 2016, he has t- taken very much a, you know, a strongman role. Uh, he's appointed his son-in-law as Minister for Finance. Uh, the central bank seems to tiptoe around him. Um, he's called on them not to increase interest rates. Uh, in response, they haven't increased the headline interest rate, but they have done things which have made uh, the lira more expensive to borrow. They have cl- started to, to clamp down in the last couple of days on credit. And today, uh, much like um, our own central bank uh, or the European central bank during the currency crisis, uh, they've made it more difficult to borrow. Um, they've made it more difficult for foreign firms to borrow uh, lira to, to speculate against the currency. Uh, in, in the same way it was, as it was made difficult to, bar- to, uh, to buy Irish bank shares from foreign yeah. investors during the crisis. So this has given a bit of short-term support to the, uh, to the lira, but the underlying problem is still very much there. Megan Green, um, you're following this from afar, as, as it were. What are markets making of it? I mean, the lira down 40%, I think it was, up until this morning. Anyway, I know it's rebounded somewhat today. Yeah, and it rebounded a little bit today. That's just a bit of a relief rally. Um, I think that the markets have lost faith in, as Cliff mentioned, they've lost confidence in um, Turkish institutions, um, particularly the central bank. And so this Turkey has been a long-term train wreck. Um, It's just been crystallized now for all the reasons that 
Cliff has suggested, but what the markets would really need to see to have this turn around is a massive hike in interest rates to the tune of probably 600 basis points or 6%. Um, they would need to see some people lose their jobs. Probably the finance minister, who's Erdogan's son-in-law. I know it's ironic for me with an American accent to say you can't hire family members mm, in government. Indeed, given really what's going on in the White House. <laughs> That's right, but you really shouldn't. Um, that really undermines the credibility of the government. Um, so you would need to see that as well. And there are a bunch of kind of structural reforms that you would need to see implemented. Um, I think of all those things, the hardest for Erdogan to back um, up on is the interest rate. He's gone out and said that higher interest rates are evil. He doesn't believe that um, they really contain inflation. And so for him to turn around and pull in 180 would mean losing a lot of face. Um, where this might go is that Turkey might end up having to impose capital controls. Um, and then I think the markets would lose even more confidence in Turkey. Um, and they may end up having to call in the IMF, but Erdogan will go to great lengths to avoid that because, of course, if the IMF comes in, they'll immediately say you need to jack up your interest rates and Erdogan doesn't want to do that. So I do think that this crisis will get quite a lot worse before it gets ameliorated. And Megan, what are the, what's the chances of contagion for financial markets and of this, uh, the effects of this spreading to uh, elsewhere, particularly in Europe? Yeah, so I think um, Europe is where there's obvious direct contagion and that um, some European banks, particularly BBVA in Spain, um, BNP Paribas in France and Unicredit in Italy, have quite a lot of exposure to, um, to Turkish debt. Um, so if Turkey defaults on it, then they'll take a hit. Um, I do think that the ECB would probably step in and, and backstop the European banks. I don't think the ECB will do anything about the Turkish banks for what it's worth. And, and there has been um, some rumblings that Turkey's been looking to get some aid from the ECB. That, that will not be forthcoming. Um, but also there's some contagion. And as you say, you know, there are a bunch of refugees that have gone into Turkey and the EU struck a deal with Turkey a few years ago for Turkey to keep them, keep the refugees there. Um, Turkey could try to blackmail the EU now and say, you need to give us more money for us to continue with this deal. Um, and if you, if Turkey, you know, didn't hold up its end of the deal, let refugees flow into Europe, uh, that would cause huge problems for Merkel, uh, German Chancellor Merkel in particular. But then I think there's actually a much more pernicious, less obvious source of contagion. And and it's to do with the question of whether Turkey's really idiosyncratic, whether it's the one-off or whether actually it's just a canary in the coal mine. And I think there are a lot of things about this Turkish situation, you know, the American pastor that they've detained, um, the strongman, Erdogan is quite unique, that means that, uh, you know, Turkey's just a one-off. But I think it is a symptom of a much bigger problem, which is that uh, a lot of emerging market countries have borrowed a ton in U.S. dollars over the past decade. Um, their, their U.S. dollar borrowing has really soared. They've also been invoicing a lot of their trade in U.S. dollars. So that's partly oil, but, um, but it goes far beyond oil. And so if the dollar is going to continue to strengthen then emerging markets are going to have a really tight squeeze and the dollar should probably continue to strengthen in the short term because China has been depreciating its currency, the renminbi, sort of as a one of many retaliatory measures um, against the U.S. trade policy. And I don't see the U.S. turning back on its trade policy anytime soon. So if the dollar continues to strengthen, then you'll have a shortage of U.S. dollars, a squeeze in emerging markets. And at the same time, central banks are all pulling back on their accommodations. So you're getting a, a global tightening in financial conditions. And that's just going to create a pain trade across the emerging markets. So um, countries like Turkey, Chile, Argentina, um, Korea, they all have a ton of U.S. dollar-denominated debt, and they're all going to feel the pain from that. Yeah. Cliff, 
How much of this, uh, let's look at the trade war, how much of this is down to the fact that Donald Trump and President Erdogan, you know, two uh, alpha males um, going, at, going at each other, as it were? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're, we seem to be in a new era of, uh, I don't know, what do you call it, strongman economics or whatever, where... Uh, we're seeing the, these kind of trade threats being carried through, which would never have been the case, uh, cer- certainly in living memory. So, you know, quite extraordinary to see the US president spotting a moment of weakness, it appears, with the lira under pressure and, and immediately jumping in to, to, to increase the pressure. So was this pressure. a calculated move by Trump, well, in I your mean, opinion? Well, I mean, who knows, but it, 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 certainly, looks, it certainly looks like it was, uh, you know, hit, hitting at a moment of weakness. And Erdogan has, you know, has made some noises back, but I mean, there's no, there's no question who has the most firepower here. Uh, but I think, as Megan said, the you know the the underlying the underlying issue is that there are vulnerabilities. Uh, Turkish companies have borrowed uh, close to three hundred billion dollars over the last few years, uh, and a lot of this becomes repayable in the next year or so. So, if they're earning. If their earnings are in lira and, and the lira is falling, a lot of them are going to run into troubles. That's going to cause problems for the banking system, and you can see how that will uh, how how that chain will go on. And I mean, stepping back again, this 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 comes from uh, you know European banks and American banks and banks around the world desperately searching for places to lend money to in the last few years when interest rates have been on the floor, when they can get some place where they can get any kind of return at all. And one of the places they have looked to are emerging markets like Turkey and Mexico and all these places where they can get where they could get a slightly better return the question as mega put it now is what is the risk that was taken on uh, you know in, in in return for those slightly higher interests over the last few years and and is there a new exposure here that's going to kind of move like a domino through the emerging markets in the coming months yeah um, good for tourists, I would imagine. And uh, we've seen some pictures of uh, queues outside luxury goods uh, stores where yeah. uh, uh, tourists, maybe some locals as well, uh, deciding that it now is a good time to buy your Gucci handbagger or whatever. Absolutely. I'm sure it's a fantastic time to be uh, to, 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 to be visiting Turkey. Uh, meant to be a lovely country. I've never been there, but I was, I was reading uh, tales of people dining out for you know, $25 where it would have been 50 a year ago. Um, and yeah, a, a, a huge bo- a huge boost to the to the tourist sector. Um, but, you know, the, the lira is down 40%, it's up 6%. Uh, goodness knows where it's going next. Uh, yeah. Uh, Megan, it seems to me, it strikes me that there can only be one winner uh, in a trade war between the United States and Turkey, and it won't be Turkey. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> realistically, everybody loses from <laughs> all trade wars. But uh, you're right, the U.S. has more firepower. But I do think that the U.S.'s response to this is um, particularly startling, um, just in that, you know, Turkey's a NATO ally, and the U.S. has turned around and <clears throat> pretty much kicked it while it's down. Um, and Erdogan has gone right off and started talking to Putin about closer economic cooperation. Um, the U.S. has military bases in Turkey, um, so we should have an interest in protecting that. Um, but I do think, you know, this this could be one of many incidents that turns everyone against the U.S. in a way. So you've got this, you've got Erdogan talking to Putin now, you've got... Uh, you know, Theresa May backing up the EU on Iran sanctions and the U.S. all of a sudden saying, if you're going to lean that way, then we're not, you know, good luck getting a great trade deal with us. You've got a bunch of idiosyncratic issues um, that have the U.S. kind of picking a fight with everyone. I um, mean, you do wonder if, if they all ever bandy together um, and the U.S. is left out in the cold. But the fact that Turkey's a NATO ally does make it really particularly startling um, that the U.S. Is, is turning its back on Turkey. 
Yeah, but President Erdogan accused uh, Trump of stabbing him in the back last week. I mean, it was really more stabbing him in the front because it was very, uh, it was very upfront what was done, and uh, as Megan said, quite shock, yeah, quite shocking. And now Erdogan has said he's going to talk to other other potential allies, Russia being one. Uh, the Emir of Qatar is uh, dining in uh, dining in Turkey today, uh, being being spoken to by President Erdogan for the second time in a week. He is a huge sovereign wealth fund, which you know could potentially provide some source of foreign uh, foreign reserves for uh, for Turkey. So you know all kinds of geopolitical issues here in the background. Yeah, there as are a well lot as of, the economic. There are a lot of them. There's a lot of volatility out there, Megan. Is this the new normal, uh, as it were? I mean, if you look, you mentioned uh, tensions between the United States and, and Russia. We now have Turkey. We have the Iran situation. We have Brexit. We have uh, the U.S. imposing uh, tariffs or threatening to impose tariffs on the EU and China, Mexico, Canada, and so forth. I mean, there's a lot of volatility or a lot of potential volatility out there. Yeah, so I think it's it's more potential for volatility than actual volatility, though. I mean, for we've had more volatility this year than last. Um, right now with Turkey, it's worth considering that it's August, and so lots of people are on holiday. Um, and so trading volumes are pretty thin, and that makes any moves seem really outsized. Um, so that could be a piece of it, too. But the markets have been uh, remarkably impervious to a lot of these developments. Um, and I think part of the reason equity markets in particular is, is because there's just been a huge shift towards passive investing. So you don't have fund managers sitting there, you know, waiting for my analysis on what's gone on in Turkey or what the latest in the trade wars is. Um, these funds just trade passively based on their index. And so um, they don't really care about the price. They don't really care about fundamentals. And so they're they're largely ignoring all of these developments. Um, and that's a huge piece of the U.S. equity market in particular. Now, I think only about 90% of U.S. equity trades on any given day are done by passive investors, not active people, but basically really? by bots. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a huge amount. And so they, they don't really care about these developments. So it's less volatility than you would expect um, if you're a veteran and have looked at all these things for a long time. Um, but it's more volatility than we had la- last year, certainly. And I think that's partly down to the fact that central banks are pulling away their accommodations. So it's a bit like, you know, the tide coming in and seeing who's out there swimming naked. And Megan, is there any such thing as a safe haven investment now? Yeah, there is. Um, I would say it's still U.S. dollar assets, so U.S. treasuries in particular, or the U.S. dollar as well, um, which could be putting some of the upward pressure on the dollar. Um, You know, given that the U.S. has the global reserve currency and the biggest, most liquid asset class in the world, which is treasuries, um, I think it's going to be a safe haven for a long time. Um, That being said, we're blowing out our budget deficit uh, and our debt burden will become worrisome at some point. And so um, it will cease to be a safe haven at some point, but that's probably pretty far down the line. Yeah, Cliff. Finally, Ireland's a very open economy. Uh, if there is contagion uh, effect, it could impact on, on us. Um, what might the impact be for Ireland if there's a, a, a you know, a long period of uh, volatility affecting Turkey? Sure, not 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 huge directly. I don't think the the banks who are most exposed to Turkey are are, are the Southern European banks in general and HSBC, uh, being an outlier, being an outlier banks who have investments in. Uh, in uh, in Turkey directly and and in Turkish in Turkish lira, the exposure of the Irish bank system is tiny to to Turkey. Uh, so 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 there isn't a direct knock on. I think 
what what you're looking at is, uh, as you say, we're we're a small open economy. Uh, probably the greater threats to us are, uh, you know, come from Brexit or, or the threat of trade wars. So, I mean, the kind of bellicose stuff we've seen between uh, Trump and Erdogan uh, you know, is, is, is a worrying sign for a country like Ireland because... I mean, he's banned if, iPhones, hasn't he? And he said he... Apple, Apple are big in Ireland. Well, indeed, whether he, whether he could do that or not, I don't know. But there's also trade tensions, of course, between the US and China. Uh, and while the trade tensions between the US and Europe are on hold, they're only very much on hold. So I think a big outbreak of, tr- of trade tensions uh, and this kind of economics is, 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 is a potentially big issue for us in a year when Brexit is coming down the line as well. As Megan said, these are all theoretical risks at the moment rather than actual risks. But nonetheless, they're all, uh, they're all lining up there uh, and, and threatening, I think, to undermine some of the really positive backdrop which the Irish economy has, uh, which has allowed the Irish economy to recover so ex- in such an extraordinary fashion over the last few years. Yeah, and we've talked about Turkey's potential membership of the European Union for mm. many, many years now. It looks as far away as ever. It does, uh, and particularly politically with the, the refugee issue, with the, with the, uh, the political pressure on, uh, on, uh, on Angela Merkel. Uh, you know, it doesn't look like that's going to that's going to happen anytime soon. All right, we'll leave it there. Uh, Cliff Taylor and Megan Green, thank you for joining us. We're going to take a short break now. When we return, I'll be talking to Joe Brennan about Aritz's plans to raise eight hundred million euro in new equity capital. Back in a few moments. Only twenty nine percent of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Uh, remember, you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes, and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash business. Now, this week, Aritza, the Irish-Swiss bakery group, which has been in financial bother for some time, announced plans to raise €800 million Euro in new equity capital. And the purpose of this is to help it restructure the business and refinance its debt. Uh, Joe Brennan, you've been following uh, the woes of Aritza, if you like, uh, over the, the last while. This is a big sum of money a lot of dough. Uh, tell us the background. Uh, tell us about the background to this. Yeah, um, I suppose, I mean, I think the company now is bowing to the inevitable and, and raising uh, equity to try and uh, accelerate the, the lowering or the deleveraging of the business. Yeah. They have said up until now that they have no plans to raise uh, additional equity. And I suppose in the statement when they came out on, 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 on Monday uh, announcing the capital raise, at least they were able to say that they had managed to not breach their covenants at the end of their financial year in July, which had been a concern for uh, a lot of people in, in, in the market. But I think what they're saying now is that better off to raise equity to accelerate the the deleveraging and give them more space to actually kind of sure continue with the restructuring of the business and see if there's a business worth worth uh, salvaging at the end of the day. Now, Aritz is the old IAWS, isn't it? And Cuisine de France. A lot of Irish people will will be very familiar with that brand, and that, that's a, a staple of the uh, Aritz business. But just give us the background to the business and how they got themselves into this pickle. Yeah. Um, so basically, Aritz was formed uh, a decade ago following the uh, the 
the merger of IAWS and uh, a Swiss company called Hestand. Um, it's uh, got uh, it's listed in both um, uh, Zurich and in Dublin. And I suppose following that, uh, the company went about this kind of massive uh, roll up uh, M and A kind of uh, venture uh, buying business Expansion. all over the world. Mm. I suppose the wheels began to kind of come off, uh, and people started questioning kind of the, the strategy of the group uh, back about in 2015 when it bought a minority stake in a French frozen foods business, uh, Picard, and spent, I think, in the region of about 450 million uh, euros for that minority share. And this was all on the watch of Owen Killian? This is all on the watch, yes, absolutely, and his team. Um, last year, Owen stepped down after, I think, the company given a number of, of profit warnings in, this, in the preceding two years and issued a number of negative uh, outlooks um, and negative and disappointing earnings. So he fell on his sword uh, early last year, along with a few others of his top executives. And we have a new team come in since uh, almost a year now at this stage in September. Kevin Tolan, previously the chief executive of the DAA, has come in with a new finance director, also under uh, the chairmanship of uh, of Gary McGann, who had only come in the previous uh, the previous December, just before the, the, the wheels really started to come off the business. Right, OK. Now, Toland was expected to, I suppose, uh, address the, the slide in, in the business and the slide in the share price, but it really hasn't gone terribly well. It, it continues to struggle. Yeah, I mean, he presided over profit warning within months of arriving. Uh, so the the company, which was the worst by far, the worst performer in the Irish stock exchange last year, uh, continued on that vein in in January when it issued a, a fresh profit warning. Um, back last year, the the big issue was in the United States, where its uh, Otis Bunkmeyer business was, uh, which main its main business was. Um, baking for, for other companies, for, 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 for large brands, it started making its own biscuits and its own uh, cakes and retailing them and going to direct uh, competition with their, with their, with with their, their own customers. Mm. So customers started pulling business uh, at, at pace. And that was a, a, the big kind of problem for them. Since then, there have been other issues. You've had Clover Hill, which is their main, uh, which was a large um, facility they had in the States. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Donald, under Donald Trump's uh, regime, there was a clampdown on immigrants and it lost a third of its staff overnight. Um, also, that business was the main business that was was competing with his own customers as well. It went on to sell that business under under Toland. He's also kind of gone on and sold a number of other businesses, trying kind of splice and dice, and kind of refocus the business away from retail more towards business to business type activities. Yeah, and we've heard a lot about them disposing of non-core business. What exactly would be under Toland's plan? What would be core to the business? Core to the business is. Business to business, it is uh, basically uh, frozen baked goods, which is an expanding market. And they say themselves that look at the business that they they, they plan to to kind of whittle it down to is in expanding. It is a market leader in an expanding market, and they re- they reckon that they actually now see a business that is a growth business, and also that they actually see themselves mm. at a turnaround at the moment. Now, it's only last week that analysts were suggesting that the, the number, the figure that uh, Aritza might look for was about €300 million, Euro, which is a big sum in and of itself. But they really surprised everyone, didn't they, with the €800 million figure? Yeah, I suppose, I mean, look, they want to wrap their arms around this. They don't want to be coming back again. They want to give themselves time to actually really kind of restructure this business rather than having the markets breathing down their necks, looking at the next covenant uh, test. So Do it they in want one to go. Give, 
do it in one go. Give themselves additional money also to uh, to undergoing a, a cost savings programme. They plan to cut about two hundred million of costs over the over the coming years. That in itself will cost them about one hundred fifty million. So, take that, use some of that for the restructuring, and also lower its its, its debt mountain as well. It has committed also in the meantime to uh, recommitted to a, to a one billion uh, deleveraging program. Half of that coming from uh, cash flow from the, it is a cash generated business. Uh, half of that coming from cash flow from the business, and half of that coming from asset sales. The big thing here is selling the Picard stake that's been hanging over their heads for the last few years. There was an expectation that they would have sold it by now, but at least they're saying they're not going to be four sellers. They're not going to. They're not going to be. They're going to not going to sell it for less than face value. Mm. In the meantime, they've been able to scrape out about ninety million of dividends, special dividends, in the last nine months or so, and that's a result of restructuring or sorry, refinancing of that business. Now, I suppose on one level we have to presume if they come out with a big number like eight hundred million, they're pretty confident that they're going to be able to deliver on that. Uh, do we have any sense of whether existing shareholders are going to pony up the money? Or whether they're going to, uh, you know, they're going to tap uh, fresh sources of equity. Yeah, I suppose um, the interesting thing is that uh, normally when you see a company announcing a rights issue, the share price price slumps because it expects a deeply discounted uh, issue. And even though analysts have been forecasting in the region about three hundred fifty million of a of a capital raise, it's more than double that. You've seen the share price, which is down th- more than three quarters. Up until the announcement, three quarters of share, three quarters of value of the company had fallen between the beginning of the year and up till up until the announcement. Since then, the share price has actually rallied about seven percent. So a lot of it seems to be priced in, even if analysts weren't pricing in. It was being priced in by the market itself. Mm, okay, so are they going to get it away? Um, Certainly by the reaction to the share price, yes. Uh, it looks like they they will get it away. Uh, more details would have to come out, and they'll have to probably give greater colour around their forecast for, for next year and the medium term when they come out with their results in, in October. And how would you rate the chances of Tolan's plan, Tolan being able to implement his, his plan to restructure and refinance the business, or might it be picked off? There had been a view, um, say this time last year, that the company itself could be picked off by uh, by private equity. I think the market is beginning to give uh, the, the company the benefit of the doubt here and, and allowing Toland to proceed with the, with the restructuring. Mm. Okay. The interesting right. thing as well is that the previous management, uh, an issue with the previous management was that they hadn't been forthcoming with information to the market. At least this time under the new management, we're seeing the company came out proactively with their rights, not necessarily the... the a message the market needs to hear, wants to hear, but it was, they were right in, in May coming out with a, a proactive uh, profit warning and also coming out early announcing this, this rights issue because they're going to carry it out in the fourth quarter of this year. All right, Joe, we'll have you back again to find out how Aritza are getting along with all of that, uh, perhaps uh, later in the year. But that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to our guests, Peter Hamilton, Megan Green, Cliff Taylor and Joe Brennan. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with Philip Brady as sound engineer. Don't forget that you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the irish times business feed on twitter and facebook i'm kieran hancock until next time take care